Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Slumber Party Cinema Club. This is your host, Kate. And this is Katie. And uh, we are just, we're basking in the beauty of May right now, aren't we, Katie? Yeah, for sure. It's sunny. It's not yet ungodly hot. I'm enjoying it. It's, you know, kind of like the perfect date in in, uh, Miss Congeniality is April 25th because it's not too warm, not too, like, you can get away with a light jacket. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Chicago May. Yeah, we're just, we're just basking it over here. And I don't know, I, the, the thing though is like, the sun doesn't go down quite as early anymore. So I feel bad about like crawling onto my couch at 7 p.m. to watch TV. Uh, in the evenings because it's still light outside, but I'm getting used to it. And recently Sunday nights have become like prime TV time for me because we have Succession and Barry, both those, you know, both on those nights. And we're coming to the end. We only have two more episodes of, of Succession. So my Sunday nights are soon to be a little bit freer. <laughs> and like Barry is like going to be the end in, right? Yeah. Like, Succession like- and Barry are both ending the series entirely. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know Succession was ending. Yeah, that's why like every every Monday morning, the internet is taken over by Succession discussions because we don't know who's going to take over the company in the end, if anyone takes over the company in the end. Right. Gotcha. Okay. I it's funny because like I think a few episodes ago, and I won't spoil for anyone out there watching it. I just remember there was like news about a big twist or a big happening or whatever and I was like even though I don't watch the show I've never seen a single episode of it as of yet I was like oh I want to know what happened because I just like to know and and I read and about it and I was like yeah this doesn't mean anything to me um yeah so if you if you don't watch succession and don't want to get spoiled uh skip ahead a couple of of minutes because I want to talk about this um <laughs> So succession, uh, yeah. So the whole thing revolves around these siblings. It's sort of loosely based on the Murdoch family, a little bit on the Trump family, and very much uh, if it was West Wing meets Arrested Development, that's what succession is. And so you have like the same sibling dynamics. You have the daughter who's married to a man who's like moving his way up the organization. And we are going to talk about that quite a bit. Well, I'm going to talk about that quite a bit today. Um, based on the movie we're talking about, but um, you've got like all of them vying to take over the company from their 80 plus year old father, um, who is still a tour de force played by Brian Cox. And um, it was like, I think the third episode of the the final season of the fourth season, he dies. <laughs> like, yeah. just poof. Like, I, we knew it was probably going to come, but we didn't realize it was going to be episode three of the season. And so that threw the rest of the season in complete chaos because a lot of people had speculated how it was going to go. And that just was not factored in. So now we get to see the siblings pretty much implode. This last week, it was the presidential election in which one of them was running and uh, as, as a third party ticket and got like less than 1% of the vote. <laughs> but the rest of the siblings, they run a news organization. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most uncomfortable hours of television where it reminded you that like all of the people on the show are horrible people. Um, and it was very reminiscent of 2016, like mm. very disgustingly reminiscent of 2016. Uh, mm. If anyone's read the internet comments about that, that whole episode, no one enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone has a, I'm assuming everyone has sort of a, like PTSD a little bit. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, so uh just the performances are amazing. The writing, I'm sure we will look back at it kind of like how we look back at the writing on the West Wing mm-hmm. and we'll be like holier than thou in about 10 years and be like the writing wasn't that good. But I got to say like at this moment in time, I think it's one of the best written television shows um that I've seen. So, but yeah, uh and and like I said, the performances are good, especially from one Matthew McFadden who we are going to be talking about today. Yes. Crush Matthew McFadden. He's kind Uh, of a crush for me. Oh yeah. Mm. First off, he's very versatile as we're going to discuss in our, our uh, episode today, because uh, Katie, do you want to introduce the movie? Yeah. So I think we kind of spoiled it our last episode. Um, But today we are talking about Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 
Joe Wright, Kira Knightley version, not the long ass BBC Colin Firth version. Before we get too far, though, what did you think of the BBC miniseries? So I've seen it once. And I saw it because um, I had a friend early in college who was a very, very big Jane Austen fan, much larger than I am. So she has seen like every movie adaptation of every Jane Austen book, like multiple versions. And I was sort of along for the ride watching a lot of those. But yeah, the BBC version, it's fine. I personally like this version better. And I think I like it better because some of the like, modernization that Joe Wright and crew sort of folded into this movie. I, and I say abridged because the BBC version is basically exactly the book. Like you get everything that happens in the book in the BBC version. And, you know, granted it's way longer because it was a mini series. This version, the Joe Wright version, I say abridged because they take out some of the plot points in the book, but you sort of see like nods to them um, if you're paying attention. This is definitely a movie, surprisingly, that I think you notice new things every time you watch it. Mm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely, I like this version better. Yeah, that's interesting because I I had a similar situation. My I had a college roommate who was massive Jane Austen fan favorite favorite author of all time and she contended that the BBC version was the greatest thing ever made um partially because uh her number one on her hall pass is Colin Firth sure Um, (laughs) so um yeah she was all about the miniseries I couldn't get through the miniseries I tried um but I'm also I appreciate Jane Austen I am not a Jane Austen fan so have you read any Jane Austen? I've read Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. I tried Sense and Sensibility. I had better luck with Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's an it's just one of those things where I need to actually sit down and dedicate myself to it. Like I said, I, I read Pride and Prejudice. I remember when I was in fourth grade, my teacher, we we had this thing where she gave us all notebooks and we had to write a, a journal, like a letter to her in the notebook. We'd give them back and she would write a letter back to us. And then we would like have a pen pal situation with our fourth grade teacher in these notebooks throughout the year. Yeah, it was a really cool thing. Um, But she told me that her favorite book was Pride and Prejudice. And so at nine years old, I like stored that away and was like, this was Mrs. Saul's favorite book. And she told me it was about some sisters. Like, that's all I knew about it. That's all she gave me. Um, And so in high school, I was like, you know what? I should read that book that Mrs. Saul likes so much. <laughs> and so that's how I sat down with it. But I was also in high school and early college, very much a, um, anything that all of the, the literary girls like, I'm going to hate just to be not like other girls. Okay, and yeah. so I sort of like walked away from it being like, oh, okay, I get it. And now I look and I'm like, oh, Jane Austen was like so ahead of her time. And yeah. talk so much about how capitalism and class and everything plays a role in, in outcomes of love. And I'm like, well, that went way over my head. I was more just like, oh, dear God, do I have to sit through five women trying to find love in this world? <laughs> yeah, class and gender roles. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I didn't read Pride and Prejudice until I was in my early 20s. And it was after I'd seen the movie and I liked it just fine. I see, I always considered myself a Bronte girl because I was like, again, you say being like, not like other girls. I was Mm -hmm. like, I was, I wanted to be the sort of goth cynical reader that, you know, liked the darkness of the Brontes, which I still do. Oh yeah. Wuthering Heights. I still consider one of my favorite books. Oh yeah. Same. Um, Well, and as you know, I collect copies of it, but like, I definitely, when I was younger, I was like, Catherine and Heathcliff were like more romantic because it's so tragic. And now I'm like, no, Elizabeth and Darcy were like, if you're picking a relationship role model and relationship goals, Lizzie and Darcy are, are it. Yeah. In my adulthood, I can see that. And but even Wuthering Heights, I was not cheering for the romance in Wuthering Heights. I just wanted the ghosts to come in and terrorize everyone. see I see I did read Wuthering Heights in high school because we read it as like part of class and I did end up enjoying it and I've read it a few times since then but 
I was rooting for the romance. I was like, everyone sucks and they should just let Kathy and Heathcliff be together. (laughs) (laughs) But I did also try to, so you brought up Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Um, I've never read that one. I did start reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but I started reading it literally right after I finished Pride and Prejudice for the first time. And it's so, so much the same that I was just very bored. So I never finished it. But I do love the movie Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. See, I haven't seen the movie. I just read the book when I was working at the library one summer. Mm, we should we should watch it uh, one day together or something because I think it's very underrated. It's just a fun movie. And I mean, I don't want to get too much into it in case we end up doing an episode on it one day, which we absolutely should. But my, so I also love zombie movies. Uh, It's some of my favorite, you know, sub genre of horror movies. And I think really good uh, zombie movies are also always double as social commentaries. I mean, that goes for horror movies in general, but Mm -hmm. especially zombie movies. Um, A lot of George Romero's earlier work was like very social commentary. The 28 Days later franchise is very social commentary and Jane Austen is very social commentary as you said before so really Pride and Prejudice lends itself very well to also being a zombie movie Um, yeah I can see that and I just pulled it up and wow I didn't realize how many famous people are in this thing yeah the cast is stacked the cast is well the cast for Pride and Prejudice from 2005 is also stacked so let's let's sweep back to that Because I haven't seen this movie since I think I watched it in college with the roommate who is very, very, very into Jane Austen. And I remembered, obviously, Keira Knightley, who is up for an Oscar for this. I remember Matthew McFadden, which for me, he was in uh, uh, Death at a Funeral, which is one of my favorite um, British comedies, modern British comedies. If you haven't seen it, so good. No, I have not seen it, actually. Oh my gosh. So let's take a break for a minute. Death at a Funeral. You got to see it. It is ridiculously funny. It's Frank Oz directed it. So, you know, the man who does the voice of Miss Piggy and has done a number of other great things too. Um, But it's just, it's a farce and Peter Dinklage is in it. Um, Alan Tudyk is in it. Very, very, very funny. Highly recommend. Uh, Oh yeah. That one was a remake, right? So technically, that's the original. They made a remake in 2010. Oh, okay. And the remake in 2010 had a much more diverse cast. Peter Dinklage did return. He came back for it. Um, But it also had Chris Rock, Martin Lawrence, um, Danny Glover, Regina Hall, who I think can do no wrong. She is so funny. And she can also break your heart in the same moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Marsden was in it. Kevin Hart. But the original British version is the one that has Matthew McFadden as pretty much the lead character who's dealing with all of the weird things that are happening at this funeral. I gotcha. Okay. But Pride and Prejudice, um, we've got him. And then just the sisters alone, like looking through the list of the women who are in this, Rosamund Pike, Jenna Malone, Carrie Mulligan, Kelly Riley plays Caroline Bingley. And I, you might know her best as... Um, Dr. Watson's love interest in the Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law yes. Sherlock Holmes movies. Yep. And then Tom Hollander plays Mr. Collins. And Tom Hollander just recently ended his his run on uh, White Lotus as one of the, uh, as Jennifer Coolidge puts it, one of the gays who are trying to murder her. <laughs> <laughs> These gays are trying to murder me. Yeah, he's also um, one of the antagonists in the later Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He plays he plays a much less doofy character. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also um kind of imposing and scary in a, a miniseries called The Night Manager, based on a John Macari novel with um Tom Hiddleston and Oh yeah, I remember Elizabeth that Debecky. show. Yeah. And Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie's the big bad, but but Tom Hollander plays a pretty formidable accomplice. And they let Elizabeth DeBecky be tall in that movie in that show which i just like <laughs> <laughs> like the biggest surprise on the the listing on the the production list for uh pride and prejudice which it shouldn't be too big a surprise but the fact that emma thompson is not credited but she did actually contribute to additional dialogue for the movie oh i didn't know that yeah so keep in mind she wrote sense and sensibility when she did that one with alan rickman and 
uh, Kate Winslet mm-hmm. and Hugh Grant throwback to last episode, <laughs> but yeah, she, she helped out with, uh, some of the dialogue. Um, the screenplay was also written by Deborah, uh, Mogok, who, which means that this is one of the few times that we actually see a female screenwriter working alone, which is kind of cool. And then also a couple of the other sisters, I, I don't, I can't remember if you mentioned their names, Jenna Malone and Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Jenna Malone, I really enjoy in this movie because so she plays Lydia, which is one of the younger sisters, and she's very silly and boy crazy, which I feel like goes in an opposite direction with the female characters that Jenna Malone normally plays. Yeah, yeah, she's usually. I mean, so first off, Jenna Malone never ages. Um, Mm -hmm. She's just just has looked the same for years and years. But yeah, she's she's usually she played Joanna Mason in the Hunger Games movies. Um, I just saw her recently in a movie called The Neon Demon, where she's a model. Uh, oh yeah, I need to see that movie. It's it's a lot. It Elf looks Game like a lot. Amazing in it. Highly recommend, yeah. You know, for for her, um, she was also in Nocturnal Animals. Um, she does a lot of dark shit. Mm-hmm. And so seeing you're right, seeing her play this boy crazy young you know, young woman is, is definitely a bit of a change up. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, you also have as the colorful Mr. Wickham actor, Rupert Friend, who may or may not be recognizable to Star Wars fans. He played the Grand Inquisitor in the Obi-Wan show, which, I mean, if you recognize him straight out the gate, your eyes are amazing. (laughs) See, here's the thing. Um, I saw him years ago. My parents, when I was in high school, my parents had a Netflix DVD um, service. Mm-hmm. And my mom would rent these tiny little British films that she was sure would be okay for me and my sister to watch. Because um, my sister's five years younger. So she was like, you know, mm-hmm. elementary school, middle school at this time. And she rented this movie called Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont, which is about a um, uh, an elderly woman who lives in a hotel and ends up striking up this friendship with this young man who's a writer. And I don't remember all the details of the movie, except for the fact that I remember Rupert Friend playing the writer because he was gorgeous. He was like Orlando Bloom. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> still is kind of very much Orlando Bloom. And so um, that came out the same year as Pride and Prejudice. I had no idea about Pride and Prejudice at this time, but I do remember seeing him in Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. And then later on, it was like, Cherie and the young Victoria where he plays Albert and like all these other movies that he showed up in where I'm like oh he's from that small little British film that my mom showed me when I was like 14. Yeah. (laughs) God we could keep going through the cast list forever and ever. I was going to say Donald Sutherland is also in this as Mr. Bennett. Dame Judi Dench uh, plays the Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Big great cast. Well, that's who Joe Wright can pull, though. I mean, if you think about Joe Wright's resume, he's he's the director. Um, he did Atonement. He did um, Darkest Hour, which just won a number of, of Oscars. And then he does some weird stuff. He did an episode of Black Mirror called White Christmas um, that was really good. He also did the director, um, and he did Hannah, the original Hannah. Um, but he loves working. He and, and Kira Knightley definitely have a professional relationship because he's done almost all of her Chanel ads. Um, he had okay. her in Anna Karenina, he had her in Atonement and Pride and Prejudice. I know like she was almost not cast as Elizabeth in this movie because Joe Wright thought she was too pretty. I think I remember that. I think I remember her talking about that in an interview where she pointed out that her teeth are all wonky. <laughs> yeah. She she is very teeth forward when she talks. I remember I feel like I remember her getting a best actress nom for this, but it was it definitely like for the year that she got nominated, it definitely seemed like they just needed to come up with a fifth person to nominate. Yeah. Yeah, that was 2006 and that was the year that um we all knew that Reese Witherspoon was going to win for Walk the Line. That's right. Yeah. Mhm. And not that she didn't do a good job in this movie, but it, it wasn't anything like spectacular. Right. Well, it's a good script. It's like, you know, we're, we on this podcast support the Writers Guild of America because we're both, I think, aspiring members of the Writers Guild of America. We'd love <laughs> to be part of that at some point. Um, and the bottom line is that none of the entertainment that we enjoy would exist without the writers putting it on a page first. 
And so while we can commend Keira Knightley for doing an amazing job acting, quite honestly, the script was just so good for this movie. It's going to be hard. It's the same thing with like her um, supporting role in The Imitation Game, which was her other um, Oscar nomination. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the content was so good that it would take someone to really muck it up. (laughs) Yeah, I actually I saw that movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's good. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I feel like that was back when I did make a concerted effort to like kind of watch more movies that were sort of Oscar nominations. And now I don't because I just realized I don't enjoy them all. Mm. (laughs) I just stopped. But that was that was a good movie, objectively. But yeah, speaking of, you know, the writers and extending to like the crew, this movie, like top to bottom, the score in it, the costuming you know, the set dressing, everything about this movie is good. Every, like, aspect of the movie, there was serious thought put into it by Joe Wright and the rest of the crew. Well, I think that's what happens, though, when you have a cast and a crew that takes the source material seriously. Yeah. You know, they weren't going at it like, oh, yeah, it's Jane Austen. It's going to be a, a chick flick slumber party movie. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, they didn't go at it like, well, we know who our audience is. They went at saying we know what the source material is and we want to respect it. Dude, you can say we know who our audience is. I don't know if they realize this, but fucking Jane Austen fans are no joke. Like they take Jane Austen so, so seriously, especially Pride and Prejudice. Like they are they are hard to please group. And I mean, I, I consider myself a Jane Austen fan and a pride and prejudice fan, but I think that I'm not on the level that some other uh, people are. I commend them because I'm on that level for some other things, but mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it is, it is wild. It is like, did you ever see Austin land? No, I remember when it came out though. And I was like, this movie's not for me. I'm not that big a Jane Austen fan. <laughs> um, First of all, I think you would enjoy it because it's just funny. It's basically, it stars Carrie Russell and she's this huge uh, Jane Austen fan. She's a huge romantic. She has, you know, relationship problems and she ends up paying like a shit ton of money to go to what is essentially like a Jane Austen LARP. (laughs) Like she pays to stay at this hotel where you more or less like, LARP Jane Austen and uh what's her face we just met Jennifer uh uh Coolidge? Coolidge thank you is in it as well and she is adorable and fucking hilarious in the movie and uh Jane Seymour's in it also it's it's a good movie um I think you would enjoy it because it's a good I think it's a good rom-com a good comedy in general I like wild too because like you know Jane Austen the the subject of class comes up in Jane Austen pretty mm-hmm. often and the funny thing about this movie is so Carrie Russell pays a lot of money to go on this trip and when she gets there she finds out that because of the amount of money that she paid the tier she's in she's like a like a poorer person mm-hmm. so she doesn't get like as good storylines as good of like a love interest and stuff compared to like some of the other women there that paid a lot of money so they end up getting to be like the rich girls oh interesting Um, yeah but yeah it's it's a really good movie I think you would enjoy it okay okay so it's a little deeper than than what I thought it was that's cool yeah for sure And and I don't think you necessarily need to be a Jane Austen fan or have a working knowledge of Jane Austen to right. movie. It kind of reminds me, there's a story, I think it was the Chicago Tribune. There was a, uh, maybe it wasn't, but I remember there was a, a columnist who was in England and she got the opportunity to, I think either tour or stay in the house where they filmed Downton Abbey. Oh, cool. And it was like at the height of the time that Downton Abbey was like everything and every, you know, everyone was obsessed with it. Um, yeah. And High so Claire, she went and she High did Claire it. Castle. Yeah, that's that's a, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so she did. She's like, no regrets. I'm glad that I spent the money. This is something I will always remember I did. <laughs> yeah, shit. I would do that. There's also like an episode. Do you watch Bob's Burgers? 
Oh yeah. There's like that episode of Bob's Burgers where like Linda wants to go do mm-hmm. basically like the same thing, but it's like a Downton Abbey LARP. Yes. Yep. And yeah. like, and isn't it very similar in that they are, they're like the butler. <laughs> yeah. They have yeah. to be the servants instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like in classic Bob fashion, like he hates it and like, doesn't want to do it, but then gets really into it. Yeah. That's why, that's why Bob is goals. We love Bob. Yeah, I always love those episodes where Bob gets dragged into something and then ends up getting way into it than anyone else is and mm-hmm, family mm-hmm. in the group. Um, well, I will say, I, I think as far, I may we'll do a full episode on this, but like, I think my favorite, while this Pride and, Pride and Prejudice is is very good, I think my favorite Jane Austen movie I've seen is the Autumn DeWilde Emma. Is that the newer one? Yeah, it came out in tw- early 2020. With uh, um, Anna Taylor-Joy. Yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy and Mia Goff was in it and Bill Nye. Yeah, I actually apparently dating Anna Wintour. <laughs> yeah. What I did I, I thought that they just had like a like a friendship. I didn't realize they were actually dating. Yeah. Good for him. What a wild couple. Yeah, I haven't seen that version of Emma yet. I've seen um the Gwyneth Paltrow one and I watched some of the I think we've talked about this before. There was well, okay. So with Pride and Prejudice, you know, there was a web series like back in 2010, 2011 ish. No, maybe yeah. 2014. Yeah, we mentioned this on the pod, uh, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, right? Liz- yeah, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, um, which was sort of like a modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that uh, like Hank Green and I think mostly Hank Green, maybe also John Green, like helped create with some other folks. And it was a like week to week or twice a week, like episodic web series on YouTube. And it was just, it was low budget, but for like the budget they had, they did such a good job. They had great actors, people, the internet, Tumblr were obsessed with it. It was such an interesting way to, to experiment with like immersive storytelling because, you know, you had the YouTube videos and the YouTube videos were basically set up to be like a vlog style video as if, you know, the characters were real and you're watching their lives. But then all the characters also had Twitters that they like updated. Oh, that's cool. Kind of like, I think it was like someone put together a Twitter account for the Titanic and then updated it in real time (laughs) as to what would have been happening with the Titanic. That's great. Oh my God. That's also sad. (laughs) Yeah. They had like Twitters and like Tumblrs that you could interact with. And it was very, very cool. And then they also did a version of Emma called Emma Approved. And I think that one was like not quite as successful as like as Lizzie Bennett Diaries. And I remember I watched most of the show, but I did Slack because I was watching it as it came out versus when I watched Lizzie Bennett Diaries where I could just Mm -hmm. binge through all the episodes. Mm -hmm. And like Emma Emma Approved was interesting because uh, basically they do a vlog style again, but Emma is supposed to be sort of like a lifestyle coach guru which makes sense mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah if if we took some of these characters uh from Jane Austen like Emma would definitely be an influencer <laughs> oh yeah absolutely going back to Pride and Prejudice and like going back to the sisters uh there are a lot of personalities within the sisters um you have Jane who's kind of the sweet she's the oldest and she's kind of like the very sweet, very kind one. You have Elizabeth slash Lizzie, who is, I would say maybe slightly more like punk rock and against the grain than Jane is, but still in like a very polite way, but she is not afraid to like speak her mind and stand up for herself. And I've seen her described as like tomboy a little bit, which I think is fitting. Yeah. Um, You have Mary who's, right in the middle who I always describe as like the awkward goth (laughs) and then you have Lydia and Kitty who are very similar to one another they are always a pair they're a package deal they're giggly they're boy crazy like they're typical you know 15 14 year olds they would definitely be BTS fans if they existed now like those girls would be so into K-pop yeah the the stark reality of life has not set in for them yet yeah um and they would definitely be posting to TikTok all the time so 
I asked out of the five sisters, who do you think that you would relate to the most or like a combination? You know, quite honestly, as an older sister, I've got to go with the oldest in the family. Jane? Yeah, very much like, eh, no nonsense. I got to make this happen. Yeah, I, you know, what? it's funny because like, not to talk about the cast again, but like, you know, Jane is played by Rosamund Pike. And this is the first thing that I ever saw Rosamund Pike in for a long, long time. And like, I think the next thing after this uh, was Gone Girl, where she is absolutely horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like as a person, her, her character, right? her, her character, her character, not her or her acting. But yeah. And she's been like in a few other things that are like big departure from like who Jane is. I would almost say that Jane is the anomaly for what Rosamund Pike does typically. Um, if you thought she was bad and Gone Girl um I care a lot she's worse oh yeah that was the other movie I was trying to I was trying yeah. to think of but yeah but no I think she's like a great actor oh uh, yeah she she played Marie Curie in a movie called Radioactive that was pretty good she got a lot I think she almost got an Oscar nom for a private war where she plays a war correspondent um Marie Colvin and then one of my favorite things that she's done is that massive attack has a music video for voodoo in my blood <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, is she in that? And she was in it. <laughs> oh, damn. But she um, was also, and before all of that, I think the first thing I saw her in, actually, you know what? This was the second thing I saw her in because I saw Pride and Prejudice back in college. So uh, there was a movie called The World's End. That's the third of- um, Of the Cornetto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, she plays uh, pretty much the only woman in the movie um, mm-hmm. <laughs> alongside Simon, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Martin Freeman. I uh, you know, I only saw that one like once and I don't even remember her in it. I saw it like when it came out in theaters. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my favorite of the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, I think I watched it on Netflix in England when I was there over New Year's one year. Because like Netflix there is different than our Netflix and they had a lot better options for watching. I was like, yes, I can finally watch this. <laughs> right. That's why you got to get that VPN so you can I get know. that like con- the, the country codes and watch different Netflixes. I think I would relate. I don't know. Everyone wants to say they relate to Elizabeth, right? For the most part, I think I would be. Elizabeth. It's kind of like women saying that they're such a Carrie when it comes yeah. to Sex in the City, and now everyone's regretting that because Carrie's the worst. Yeah, I mean, honestly, right now Miranda's the worst for me. But yeah, no, in, in the new seasons, yeah, yeah. I think I would be. I would end up being a little bit Mary, being like the socially yeah. awkward weirdo. But I think I'm a little bit more socially aware. I don't know. Anyways, that's I think we, we both have the same social skills as if you want to call them that as Lizzie. Um, yeah. Like she does enjoy verbal spar, like verbal sparring with people and maybe doesn't have the filter that the others do um, mm-hmm. and that we, you and I do, but we definitely, I mean, we're not as, I mean, that's the thing. Like Jane's the oldest and she's also so shy that I don't necessarily like, relate to the shyness at all as right. you can tell <laughs> absolutely <me>. not um, <laughs> but that like very thoughtfulness like I have a responsibility that's definitely me but yeah like the whole like Lizzie being as social as she is uh, and comfortable around people but also not quite like her youngest sisters who are just totally boy crazy and not very serious about things and yeah they really take after their mother mm-hmm. which you can't fault for like you know mrs bennett you know her her singular mind is that she wants all of her daughters to get married but she's doing it out of a this is a necessary evil in everyone's lives because you know they don't have any sons it's all daughters when mr bennett dies which within the story in the movie he's not knocking on death's door or anything um even though mrs bennett keeps saying when you die, which could be soon. <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, she's trying to make sure that everyone's accounted for because no, they can't keep their home because they're women and women can't hold property, you know, in that era of England, which is mm-hmm. stupid and dumb and yada, yada. But, you know, she's very, it's a practical thing and it's coming from like a caring place, even if, uh, Maybe sometimes she's blinded by like what's really going on. Like when Lydia ends up getting 
quote fingers married, but it's because she did what was considered incredibly slutty in Regency era England, which is she ran off and eloped with Mr. Wickham, Mm -hmm. who is a scoundrel, as we find out later on. But she just doesn't like she doesn't even register that like this whole marriage was like a scandal you know, people had to like pay money to like patch this up and get everything going. Like they don't say it explicitly, but you know, Mr. Wickham essentially blackmailed the Bennett family into having to pay him money to marry Lydia. Otherwise she would have been, you know, ruined. And then that would then fall to the rest of the sisters and nobody would want to marry them or be able to marry them according to society's rules because of their ruined sister. Mm -hmm. The more I spend a fair amount of time in like historical romance spaces and there's a wide variety of how closely authors today will stick to societal rules. Now, like when writing historical romances, I think like Bridgerton is one that definitely sticks closer to (laughs) what would have been the sort of rules and customs and culture of the day. Right. Where, you know, other authors will play like fast and loose because it's like, hey, we're writing smutty romance novels. So we're not going to like cleave so hard to the fact that most women don't know anything about sex, wouldn't dare have any sexual thoughts or feelings preceding being married that's like the one thing that having so having watched the first season of Bridgerton and then having watched Queen Charlotte because they don't necessarily do this in the the second season but like the two main female characters have like no fucking clue about sex at all like are completely ignorant barely know the mechanics of it like in the first season we go as far to like as far as her ignorance when it comes to sex is uh she doesn't even realize that like sex is how you make a baby oh geez or like you know the body fluids involved in creating a child well don't worry we're getting closer to that with all the the laws going in that say that we can't teach you know young people (laughs) about sex in school oh my god jesus i mean not that I ever got any actual like mechanic uh, sexual education when I was in school. I went to school in the South, but you know, it was all like, don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and die. And you'll also get gonorrhea and syphilis <laughs> and AIDS. Is that from Mean Girls? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is from Mean Girls. I am glad that you caught that. <laughs> you will get chlamydia and die. Yeah. <laughs> I love that joke because he picks like one of the STDs that are curable. Like you just have to take antibiotics for that one. But yeah, I mean, like it was just graphic pictures of what gonorrhea looks like. And, you know, you could get pregnant. No, my, my sort of sex education came from uh, watching the movie American Pie and then my best friend, Brandon, who's probably listening right now, having to explain to me every single part of what is going on in that movie, because I had no fucking idea. <laughs> I think it was like, we were having a sleepover at his house and I was like 12 or 13. And I was like, I don't know what's in that, what's in that cup. What did Stifler just do? <laughs> um, I, I admit I have never seen the American pie movies. Um, but I didn't need to, to learn about sex. Cause I went to school up in liberal Illinois, uh, mm. where we had sex education in school after I had gotten my first period. Oh, amazing. So yeah. you didn't, did you have no idea what was going on? Oh gosh, no. My mom <laughs> took care of that. My, <laughs> my liberal minded mother sat me down and explained, here's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had like, we had like the puberty period, stinky armpits talk, like, in fifth grade, like right before we started middle school. Yeah, no, we didn't get that in fifth grade at the school that I went to. But then again, keep in mind, I was in Catholic school all the way through fourth grade. There was no health class whatsoever in Catholic school. Mm, Yeah, I guess that makes sense. We had, we started health class in like sixth grade and I just remember my health teacher. So this was just to 
give you a year of when this was. I was in sixth grade in like 1998. Our health teacher was all you had to do to like get out of class or not get out of class, but just like make it a day where like you're not fucking doing anything was bring up anything about the Clintons. This man fucking hated the Clintons. (laughs) And like, that's all you had to do. Like, which it's funny because so like um, my aunt was a teacher at my middle school. So he was like a colleague of hers and she's retired now, but he was still teaching like at least recently, but in surprise to no one, he did become a huge like Trumper. (laughs) She told me, but so, uh, I guess the the sex talk and the lack of, you know, sex in obviously in Austin novels, because, oh, my God, could you imagine Jane Austen writing sex in her novels in in actual Regency England when these were the these novels would have been considered contemporary? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there is a plethora of Jane Austen fan fiction out there that features Lots of sexy, sexy time. Now, does uh, that include your Jane Austen fan fiction? <laughs> it does. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting around to that. Um, so first of all, because, because Pride and Prejudice is in the public domain, it means that you can publish your Jane Austen fan fiction and make money off of it. So there are you and like, you know, you can go down to your local bookshop, you can go down to a Barnes and Noble and you can find Jane Austen fan fiction on the shelves um and there's actually you know and it it spans the gambit of being you know like sort of smutty sexy and just like other sort of retellings or you know extra like after the fact what have you one of the really popular ones that actually got made into a movie is this movie called Death Comes to Pemberley Mm, I know that one yeah have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I know about it. I watched the movie. The movie's pretty good. It does sort of like uh, retcon some of the things in uh, in the original like story, but I it's it's interesting and it's also like a murder mystery, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it sort of takes a left turn from what the original story and movie was about. Um, but there is also sexy times in it. But yeah, so I did. Um, spend some time writing and publishing Jane Austen fan fiction and it's still available on Amazon it's under a pen name so if you search for you know Katie Edward you won't find my fan fiction uh I did this at a time I was unemployed I had been laid off of my job you know I was on unemployment I'm looking for new jobs um and a writer friend on Tumblr was like who was aware of my situation told me like, Hey, so a really easy way to like make a good chunk of cash is to write uh, pride and prejudice smut and post it on Amazon. And I was like, okay, so I made a good chunk of change. Um, nice. Like, and I published, I think th- I ended up publishing three stories total before I kind of like fell off the wagon on that. And like, I had gotten a new job. So like, I, you know, I didn't necessarily need to do it anymore, but, um, I mean, you could like pay for a nice vacation. Okay. The money you can make off a few Jane Austen stories. And like, really, uh, they only need to be maybe like three to Three, I was gonna say three to four thousand words, like three words or four thousand. I meant three thousand to four thousand words long, <laughs> which is relatively short. Um and just it just has to be smutty. Okay. And and people, Jane Austen fans will check it out because you know, apparently the that's the wild thing to me about like Jane Austen fans will continue to read fan fiction and only fan fiction of like pride and prejudice until the end of time i mean i hey listen i as long as people read i'm happy 
Yeah. I just, I'm like, okay, I go through faith. Like I read a lot of fan fiction and I've written fan fiction um, outside of, you know, my money making Jane Austen adventures. And, but I've never like glommed on to one fandom of like fan fiction. And like, this is what I mm. read. Like I go through phases. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, but yeah, uh, good times. Um, you know, a good way to make some money on Amazon if you can write some smut starring Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Yeah. If you Note need some self, extra cash. Yeah. I've been actually thinking about posting a couple more stories lately, just to, like help pay uh, medical bills and stuff. Like that. <laughs> I mean, I love that it's such a sure thing too. Like, you yeah. know, that people will read this and people will pay money. And I think that's really cool. And back to the writer's strike stuff, right? Like, just goes to show that people are willing to pay for good stories or yeah. just stories that they want to read like smutty pride and prejudice fan fiction like yeah well and that's like the thing like to get up on my sort of self-publishing uh soapbox because I am also a self-published author um you can find my book on Amazon it's entitled call on me by Katie Edward and it's about uh, to celebrate its two-year birthday yeah and hopefully I will have some other news on it soonish but um anyways uh go buy it and leave me a fantastic review on either amazon or goodreads it won't be hard it is really good <laughs> um and this is coming from kate who barely reads romance novels <laughs> yeah that yeah true high praise <laughs> high praise no this is the thing that like i also enjoy about like self-publishing and like it's that you know, you, you, you talk about like people will, you know, consume stories that they want to, that are good. Like writers still have to fight so much against, you know, what marketing people want and now what algorithms want. Like part of the reason my, I did go the self-publishing route is because I knew that it was incredibly unlikely that a book with like my subject matter was going to be published by an actual press because mm -hmm. there's still things that you know companies will shy away from which you know sucks because it like and you see it in books now right like you go to a bookstore and all the books are essentially very similar in content and look yeah um you know, and that has to do with like, well, marketing people, like they know the trend this year is going to be like, you know, fake boyfriends or, you know, this and, or that, and you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying not to get too high on my soapbox about it and get off topic. Oh no, there's definitely trends in writing though. I mean, like, so, and, and I haven't been able to work on it very much because I'm working on my thesis for my master's right now. And that's taking most of my energy and attention outside of work. But, um, I am working on a Western and I got to say that, well, I think it's a, a trends are perennial, right? Mm -hmm. And so anytime I see that we're getting a major Western movie, like Killers of the Flower Moon, which is mm -hmm. not quite Western, but close, I get both excited and disappointed because as someone who's working on that genre right now, I know that I've missed the boat at least this time around. The upside mm -hmm. is that something like a Western is just, it, it's cyclical. It comes around every couple of years. I'll get, I'll make it eventually, <laughs> but you yeah, know, like, but there is like this, like it's, it's both, oh, yay. People are still interested in this genre and this subject matter, but also, oh crap. Like I just missed my shot this time around. You know, and that's interesting too, because I like, granted, I have not read a lot of Westerns or consumed a lot of Western genre media I was gonna say western media that's not true <laughs> western genre of media but like it's not a very like female populated space mm -hmm. like a lot of dudes are the ones that are what writing westerns well but it's also a very malleable like a very malleable genre um a couple mm -hmm. of years ago this was like it was 2021 February 2021 I remember uh or yeah um because I started writing Lucky Ellis in November, 2020. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know is that I've got on my radar, this book called Outlawed, which is by Anna North. And it's a Western, but it's genderqueer. 
So it's a woman who gets kicked out of her hometown because she can't have children and they think she's a witch. And she, yeah, you know, makes sense. Um, She ends up getting connected up with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. And mm-hmm. the Sundance Kid is, I think it's the Sundance, Sundance Kid. It's the whole in the wall gang. I know that. But yeah. I believe Sundance is a gender fluid or gender queer non-binary character. And the rest of the cast is made up of LGBTQIA plus um, and one straight man with a uh, a disability. Um, uh, and it's, it's this exploration of all the characters and how they go about being gay, doing crimes. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, so, uh... like I wouldn't say I loved the book. I think there, there's a lot of, um, good stuff in it. I think that the cast was too big for a book as short as it is. It was hard to really connect with any of the characters at any given point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it did show that there is a, an ability out there to take something that is as established as the Western genre and be able to do real interesting things with it, which is what I hope to do, because I don't want to talk too much about it on here because I don't want to jinx anything. But like mm-hmm. mine is also female led woman who's bucking the trends, but mm-hmm. also realizing that being one of the guys is not the way to do it. And so very similarly, Pride and Prejudice, I think that's another thing where it's just that Regency romance is such a genre that can be played with, that we see it in Bridgerton, we see it in the adaptations of Pride and Prejudice where, sure, let's throw zombies in. And we see it in our our modern romance movies that take a lot from what Jane Austen did to present these, these deep female characters that are more than just, you know, the damsel in distress. Yeah, more than damsel in distress or more than like a woman who just wants to get married. And like that's the well, those exist too, which I mean, like they're in real life. My roommate, who was obsessed with Pride and Prejudice, her number one thing was she just wanted to get married and have children. And you know what? That's cool. Women like that exist, and I love the fact that Jane Austen includes them as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. When I was younger, like I was such a fucking like little romantic at heart. And when I say younger, I mean like you know my teens, early twenties, where it's like my big sort of dream in life was like, oh, I want to have like a really like beautiful love story and fall in love. And, you know, so no judgment for me at all. So this is definitely, so Pride and Prejudice is definitely like a comfort movie for me. And I was, you know, uh, reading it, watching it again, like last night. And I was just like, oh, I just love this movie so much. It's just, it's very comfortable and happy. We all need those, you know, like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Sense and Sensibility is that for me, though I know the first few times I watched it, I watched it while I was sick. So it's automatically like put into my head as just, this is a movie you watch when you're sick. And I think that, well, that's the other thing. There is such a theme throughout Jane Austen. How many times did women get sick and have to stay at whatever house they were at when they got sick? Yeah, Jane Austen was really into the uh, what we call like uh, hurt comfort uh, <laughs> trope. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's getting ill. That's oh, one of my. Ill, they have to stay. Like we get that in Pride and Prejudice. We get that in Sense and Sensibility. We get that in Emma. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite bits in uh, Pride and Prejudice. Like when they send Jane, or well, Jane goes to like dine with the Bingleys because she's invited, and then you know plotting mrs bennett says notices that it might rain and says she's not going to take the carriage she's going to take the uh a horseback she's going to go on horseback Mm -hmm. and not that she planned for her daughter to get sick i think more of the plan was like oh you'll go on horseback and it'll start to storm and they'll be like no you can't leave and like get rained on on the way home you'll stay here but uh, Mr. Bennett says uh, that her matchmaking skills are positively occult. And <laughs> um, but... you almost killed your daughter because at that time, getting sick like that could be a death sentence. But it's okay because the rich man is interested in her. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's like another joke he made. He was like, well, at least if Jane dies, it will be in pursuit of Mr. Bingley and Mrs. Bennett's like rolling her eyes. She's like, people do not die of colds. <laughs> Tell that to like so many other stories from that time period. I know, right? But yeah, I mean, again, swinging it back to Mrs. Bennett, I like 
it, like for as silly as a person she seems to be like she she is very wily and intelligent she like she knows what she's doing mm-hmm. so also fun fact about this movie did you know Kate that like so the very ending scene that we see of the movie is Darcy and Elizabeth and it's you know post uh wedding they are married now and they're just sort of like hanging out very casual uh together um in the garden of Pemberley and like you know she's her hair hair is down she's in like what is essentially comfy clothes of the time same for him like he doesn't have his cravat on his shirt's just like untucked he's barefoot like you know a couple of sluts over here (laughs) (laughs) and they're just having this like really sweet like you know newly wed doughy eyed in love with each other moment and so cute did you know that uh that was the U.S. version of the movie the original U.K. version of the movie did not have that scene in it really why not did they have something else or it just it ended I want to say it ended like after uh after Mr. Bennett you know consents to Elizabeth and Darcy getting married like that's just the end of the movie roll credits oh geez um well, I'm sure that they pretty much were like, well, Americans want that happy ending. <laughs> yeah, I if I remember correctly, it was sort of like a test audience thing. Um, and yeah. I think it's a really good, uh, a really good addition to the movie. I think it's sweet to see that um, extra little scene of them just like being fucking cute together. Because yeah, it's nice closure. Yeah, sometimes I like when you watch like romance stories, the whole story is about the couple, you know, getting together and the journey that they're on to like get together. And you don't really Mm -hmm. necessarily always get to see them be a couple at all. Right. Um, So I do, I know that we have to wind down the episode, but I did want to bring this up. So there is a whole internet community out there that is obsessed with how Mr. Darcy clenches his hand as he mm, walks away. Yeah. Do Does that scene have the same effect on you as it seems to have on a lot of the internet? Oh, yeah, that shit's hot. <laughs> 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 well, okay. First of all, it is, you know, incredibly sexy because, like, the two of them touch bare hands. Like, skin to skin contact between two unmarried people is a big deal oh yeah um there's a couple times like in a like there's a ball scene where elizabeth isn't wearing gloves and i'm like that's a very like modern touch because she would definitely be wearing gloves if this was the 1800s because there is a lot of touching because they're dancing and stuff but yeah and like yeah, just the hand flex is just so good. It yeah, it it does it for me. And not not for you. You're not like you're like whatever. You know, I I don't know. Like I I appreciate it. Like like everything about you, I appreciate it. It's just not my thing. Like I I get like of course I understand like the gravity of it, and I think it is very brilliant. But I also in this day of the internet, also think of the meme of Arthur the Aardvark's fist. <laughs> Like the anger fist or like the, the anger fist. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, uh, there's one scene in a movie that always does it for me. And it's um, in the dark night when it's the last time Bruce sees Rachel and he kisses her in the penthouse apartment with one hand in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And like that scene just gets me every time. That's my Darcy clenching his fist. Gotcha. Yeah. We were, uh, Kyle and I were watching uh, Silence of the Lambs recently, and there's like that part towards the end where Clarice and Hannibal Lecter are exchanging files, like a file. Oh, and his finger. Yeah. Brushes her finger. Yep. Uh huh. And I was like, this is uh, the horror movie equivalent to the Darcy fist clinching. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry. I just was scrolling through trivia 
and just saw this fact. So the actress that plays Mary, Tallulah mm-hmm. Riley, mm-hmm. was married to Elon Musk. Serious? Yeah, I don't know. I like married from like 2010 to like 2016. That's wild. We like Tallulah Riley. We don't like Elon Musk. <laughs> no, not at all. But <laughs> well, yeah, we just did it. We just we just got our podcast kicked off Twitter. Um, but if you want to come and follow us before we get kicked off Twitter, uh, it's at SP Cinema Club. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at that handle at SP Cinema Club. Been a little busier on Instagram. In fact, actually, uh, if you go to our Instagram after this episode drops, you'll probably find a photo of me and Katie throwing axes at a wall. Yeah, because that's what we're doing this afternoon. Um, we are so excited to do that. I because- hope that I don't maim myself. I have a lot of typing to do, and I do not want to jeopardize that. <laughs> I think that you're going to be fine. I'm also, God, my arms are really sore from my um, buff girl gym workout yesterday. Um, oh, that's right. You've been, yeah, well, we both have. I, I did uh, vinyasa and a burn class yesterday, and I'm not too sore, but I'm very excited. I went bowling last weekend. Sorry, this is a tangent. I went <laughs> bowling last weekend for the first time in years. I was using a 15 pound ball, and I was so impressed with myself because that, like, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I use 15 pound weights in my workouts like three times a week. Why is it so <laughs> shocking to me that I can now roll a 15 pound ball down a lane? God, we're so healthy. <laughs> we're so fit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think you'll be okay. And we are going um, axe throwing in honor of the love of my life. Uh, my Mr. own Darcy, Mr. Darcy, my, my goth, Mr. Darcy, uh, Kyle, it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, my dear. I love you most ardently. And <laughs> I love you most ardently, Kate. Oh, my darling Katie. Well, and next weekend we will be celebrating your birthday. So uh, get prepared for one hell of a podcast episode. Yeah, hope so. But yeah, that's it. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.